Brain Noodles. This is your podcast where myself and a bunch of other psychologists get to sit around and talk about the different things that our brains are noodling on. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Dr. Megan Connell of Geeks Like Us, a private practice out in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm joined by my four fabulous co-hosts and Dr. Sarah Sawyer. If you want to start off by introducing yourself. Sure. I, um, I am a therapist out in uh, Seattle, Washington. I do private practice as well. I also stream on Thursdays for Thuppins for Geeks Like Us. Um, and then I do a host of other projects and am the content manager for Take This. Awesome. And how about uh, Dr. Kelly? My name is Dr. Kelly Dunlap. I'm a psychologist, a game designer, and I also teach at American University in the game design program. And last but most certainly not least, Dr. Rachel Cowart. Hi, I am Dr. Rachel Cowart. I am the research director of Take This, which is a nonprofit organization that aims to destigmatize mental health challenges and works uh, specifically within the gaming industry and gaming communities. I'm also part of Clinical Role, uh, which is pretty great to watch if you like watching people who don't know how to play D&D. And by people, I mean me. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I'm happy to talk about something seasonal today. I heard we were talking about seasonal things, Megan. Yes, so right now we are in the Halloween season. This episode will probably come out a little after Halloween, but that's okay, because we all like creepy things and talking about that. So what, what are some of uh, your all's plans for Halloween? What's going on for you guys? Work. <laughs> Work. <laughs> so, as the singular non-parent. <laughs> Just just work. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of sad for Halloween because well, I'm excited, but also sad because I'll actually be traveling. I'm going to be at Game Hole Con this week. Um, and so day one of Game Hole Con is Halloween, which is going to be fun because a lot of people are going to be cosplaying. I'm actually going to get to do a live show uh, where we're going to get to cosplay, I think, and do prosthetics and stuff. But that also means I'm not going to get to go trick-or-treating with my four and six-year-old. That's, yeah, that's rough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Taking my three-year-old, he has decided that he wants to be Elmo. And <laughs> then, so in terms of family costume, I was like, well, what should mommy and daddy be? Elmo's mommy and daddy. And so <laughs> I, I now know that Elmo has a mommy and daddy, and I am elbow deep in craft supplies, trying to fashion headbands that look like Muppets for, for Elmo daddy and Elmo mommy. That is awesome. That is super cute. I will also be trick-or-treating. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and we are doing Star Wars. So my daughter is going to be, she likes to say she's going to be Baby Ray. Um, <laughs> and my son, who's two, will be Yoda. So it's very exciting. Well, now, is your husband going to dress up with, like Luke and have Yoda he on his back? Missed opportunity, right? He's yeah. dressing up as Obi-Wan. And then last night or the night before, I was like, you know what? I just realized this is very much a missed opportunity, but it's too late. He bought a very elaborate Obi-Wan costume, so he's committed now. Aw. <laughs> Sarah, are you going to dress up for Halloween? Maybe. I uh, might figure something out, but it's going to be very last minute. I have a Mary Poppins costume on deck all at Ooh. all times, so I could always whip that puppy out. Yeah. I think that, that's pretty, it's kind of essential, I think, in the world we're all in to have a costume kind of always on hand. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, actually, so Sarah's go-to is Mary Poppins. Rachel Kelly, what are your go-tos? I have a portal skirt, a companion cube portal skirt that I can always kind of bust out. And then I have a kigu, a, a um, oh, yeah. Jigglypuff kigu. You know, can't go wrong with a onesie. <laughs> can also be Cubone. So I don't have any of that. I actually don't have, <laughs> have a go-to. Um, but I did once make, uh, like, from scratch cosplay for, for Game of Thrones. Oh, oh wow! I'm like flanking on her name right now, which is Egret. Thank you. I don't know why Got I could you. not remember her name. It's probably <laughs> because of my small child. Um, but yeah, I, I have Egret cosplay that I made because I figured one, if it looks bad, that's okay because they're wildlings and they literally wear carcasses on their backs. Um, but when we moved, I was like, oh, I only wore it once, and so I didn't actually end up keeping it. But oh. that is my mm -hmm. that is my default because you know redheaded redheaded peoples are <laughs> kind of a jam. Which, since this is an audio medium, I have red hair. <laughs> Throw them out there. I have a hodgepodge of just kind of generic stuff that I can do for fantasy things. I've got uh, a punk rock costume because I've been trying to figure out how to do a 
makeup to make my face look more like lizard like to do a dragonborn cosplay because i play a dragonborn bard in a game i play in but i can't figure that out so i have elf ears and i just do punk rock bard elf nice classic (laughs) nice so i I did get to take my kids though to a halloween event where we had trick-or-treat street and so it was a bunch of kids like a little play yard and like uh different booths set up to you know where they handed out candy and then also coupons for their stores or whatever But there was a kid there. He was probably like six or seven, and he was in a Jon Snow costume. Oh, that's adorable. Did he have a dog, and was it white? He did not, but it it was actually a very elaborate costume with like the the, uh, fur and then like the wolf's head on his chest and everything. I was like, that's cool, but how does that kid know who that character is? Hopefully he doesn't know who that character is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he thought it was like a werewolf costume and he thinks he's like werewolf man. That might be. Yeah. 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 That can work. All right. So since it is the season of Halloween, I got to ask your most standout costume as a kid for yourself. Oh, I have a traumatic memory. Does that count? Sure. <laughs> sure. We are a bunch of psychologists. Let's, yeah, uh, let's do that. Trauma. So let me, let me uh, recline on the couch here. Um, <laughs> So I, mean, I, was, I was once Cookie Monster, I was once Barbie, like it was great. Um, but there was one, one year I dressed up as a witch. I was maybe like 10 or 11 in that age range. And so I had my, the black sparkly dress and I had the black witch's hat and I painted my face kind of green and I was so, so proud of myself. And I went to a door and I went trick or treat, you know, very, very cute. And the guy's like, oh, I love your costume. What'd you do to your hair? Which as I had previously just mentioned is naturally red. And oh. I was like, oh, nothing. Oh. And then he felt bad. And then he gave me extra candy. But obviously, since this was decades ago, and I can still very clearly remember it, it happening, I think it is stuck with me for a long time. So happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't say that to your trick-or-treaters when they yeah. come to the door. No. It's terrible. Well, I'm sure Rachel's daughter will appreciate this, considering that she's totally into space right now. Um, yes. But uh, I was an astronaut when I was about six, and I had my mom had sewn a full quilted spacesuit, and it was like super fancy and silver and shiny. So that was really lovely because I had wanted to, I had actually wanted to be an astronaut. So I felt like I was living my life. That's amazing. <laughs> it was awesome. Mine weren't, I don't have as good of memories, I suppose. I remember one year I found a dress at a garage sale in my neighborhood. It must have been like someone's daughter's old prom dress. It was very fluffy and blue with the puffy sleeves, like an 80s prom dress. And it was too big for me, but I didn't care. I threw that thing on and I walked around like the princess I was in that sparkly 80s blue powder blue (laughs) prom gown. One of my most memorable costumes was a ghost costume that my mom did that was literally just a sheet with circle eyes. (laughs) That actually happens. That actually happens. I have a picture of it somewhere. That's classic. That was pretty bad. Any other cool things going on in everybody's lives? Game Hole Con? Game Hole Con. I'm going to be be there. there. Yeah, that'll be fun. I'm actually really excited. It's a very cool convention for anybody who's into tabletop gaming, but you hate big conventions and like the ideas of crowds of people completely turns you off. Gamehole Con is your convention. It's very small, very intimate, and it's kind of cool because you can be walking down the hall and you can see like D&D celebrities running games like in the hallway for people. That's amazing. It is so cool. It's very chill. (sighs) Nice. I know for me, one thing that I've been noodling on uh, quite mm-hmm. a bit is, um, so as I, as I mentioned, I teach at American University in the game design program, a bunch of master students, and I teach them about games and history and culture. And the topic that I am prepping for this week, because I have learned that it's not about knowing things, it's just about being a week ahead of your students. Um, and that <laughs> actually is really, really, really hard <laughs> to stay that far ahead. But this week, and it just happens to coincide with Halloween, which is great, is we're talking about uh, transgressive play and like dark design patterns. And so I've been really thinking about um, like those kinds of uh, design modalities that are intentionally put in there to, I mean, cause harm more or less, but to like take advantage of the player, which is 
at least for me, a fun, uh, a fun exercise just because in game design, it's always about player focused. Everything is about the player, the player's experience, the player's world. And so when you do like that, that tangent into transgressive or um, sometimes it's called abusive design. So fun fact, um, or dark design, it's like, wow, wow, you could really be a jerk people. Wow. You, you really are a jerk. And so I've been, the games I've been playing, I'm like, Ooh, I'm, a, I'm onto you now. I see what you're doing there. Um, so it's just been kind of a fun coincidence that's happened together that I've been enjoying. What are some of the games that follow that kind of design? Out of curiosity. Oh, like all of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what's um, an example? Like you're saying, uh, like mechanisms that take advantage of the player. What do you mean exactly? So as I mentioned last week, I've been playing Elder Scrolls Blades. So that's the mobile Elder Scrolls game. And there's, um, of course, loot boxes um, or chests as they are in the game. And the, the standard ones, the wooden ones, you can you, you click a button that says open, and then it takes five seconds for the chest to unlock. Or if you push it again, it'll cost you one gem, and it'll open immediately. I don't know anybody who can't wait five seconds. So the fact that that's there is already kind of a red flag. And if you get like a, a gold chest or a silver chest, they're similar, where if you, you can click open, and it'll tell you like the silver chest take an hour, for example. Or you can spend 12 gems to open them immediately. Well, the thing is, on the, the more expensive chests, like the silver, the gold, the legendary chests, if you click, you know, buy, it brings you a pop-up that says, are you sure you want to make this purchase? That's great. On the one, it doesn't. And because in this game, you're double tapping so much, there have, I've definitely spent at least 10 or 15 gems accidentally by mm -hmm. clicking on my standard chest to open and then just have a habit double clicking again. And there's no pop-up, there's no verification. It's just, oh, thanks, you just spent a coin to skip five seconds. And I'm like, that, that's exactly it. Because there is no purpose, no purpose ever where that is like, where it makes economical sense, where it makes time. No, that is specifically there to cheat the player out of their gems. Um, I'm still playing and enjoying it because I call it research. <laughs> and for my class right now. Um, but that's just one example. Obviously, like Farmville has a ton of examples. Uh, any game that has kind of grinding mechanics, especially if you can pay to bypass the grinding, like those, there's some really, um, really interesting ones that are out there that are, are very prevalent. And most of the time, we don't even, don't even register that they're there or that's what they're doing. And I that's like the they point. do it a lot in the walkthroughs of games where, especially in mobile gaming, where you'll learn how, uh, <clears throat> how like farming something works and then they'll be like you must skip it now by spending one of your gems that we've given you for free spend the gem already or if you just like wait for the two minutes that the thing has to take to grow because it's like the base level crop then it, you don't have to use your gem but like they force the mechanic into the tutorial so you already are a gem short mm -hmm. yeah and or you don't know that you have the option yeah right yeah and um i i've been playing a lot of 9x um wizard quest the harry potter um, AR game and they had an event recently where they were like hey here's a hundred coins go buy this specific potion but if you just quit the game when it took you to the prompt to buy the potion you got to keep the hundred coins and you didn't have to buy the potion because most people have been playing for a while didn't want to do that of course not. Yeah, it's there's a one thing my poor students I mean again I, I'm sure you'd have to feel for any of my students um, but one thing that they don't know it's coming is there's a, a website and I will get the link for the show notes because I don't have it off the top of my head, but basically it's a, it's a game. It's a browser-based game that's intentionally designed to be a horrific UX experience. So like words that aren't important are bolded. Um, the button says no, the word yes to progress is like in tiny letters on the side, like click here to continue, continue. It looks like it's a hyperlink, but it's just a color and underlined. And so the game is to try and fill out this form as fast as you can when it's intentionally been designed to have really, really terrible user interface. So that's right. not, obviously that's not dark design. That's just bad design, but that's also important too. Um, and it, it hurts. I tried doing it. I couldn't get through more than like 30 seconds. I'm like, this, this hurts my soul too much. <laughs> it reminds me of that quiz that teachers would give to teach you to read the instructions in school where if you read it, you just write your name and sign the bottom. But if you didn't read it, you'd be doing like full on math, English, spelling, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so Kelly, it sounds like the form you're going to be putting a link to is the common app for 
for college applications, right? <laughs> much. Yeah. Much. yeah. <laughs> or at least after going through this one, the college application app won't seem as bad. <laughs> Perspective taking, right? It's healthy brain mechanics. And <laughs> nice reframe. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, okay, play on this game for a little while. Okay, now fill up at your FAPSA. <laughs> yep. Be grateful. Yes. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> Can always be worse. Yes, yes. Well, with that, let, let's take a little break and then we will get into our primary discussion. Do you like Dungeons and Dragons streams? Who doesn't? Come check out Geeks Like Us Clinical Role, Mondays from 9 to 12 EST. Whereas his Dr. Megan Cannell takes her psychologist friends through the Underdark into pirates? Oh, I want to be a pirate. Oh, get my sword. Pew, pew, pew. Have a good time. Anyway, Clinical Role, Mondays, 9 to midnight, on the Geeks Like Us Twitch channel. <laughs> and we're back. So talking with our continuing our talk on the theme of Halloween this week, uh, what are some like scary or horror games that you guys have enjoyed playing or are playing or some of your experiences with horror games in the horror genre? I hate horror games. <laughs> we'll just Rachel out with the opinions. I hate them. I hate being scared. I hate being chased. I dislike them intensely. I'm just going to start with that. <laughs> I, I will second that. I hate <laughs> horror games. And I like, I haven't played Dark Souls because I thought it was a horror game because it had the word dark in it. And I will say, as somebody who studies video games that have mental health in them, it is very challenging when you don't like horror games um, to, to do that research. <laughs> uh, but pro tip, if you are playing through a horror game for some reason that you have to, maybe work or research related, if you turn the sound off and then put Christmas music on in the background, <laughs> it makes it less scary. Because that's pretty much the only way I get through games to review is by, by doing that. Because I hate, I have enough anxiety in normal life. I don't need, I don't need extra. Yeah, I, I don't play, like, I was trying to think of, like, the scariest game I've ever played. And, like, I, as much as I love gaming, I don't get a lot of time for it. And anybody who did, I did not uh, download this stream, so it has been, it's gone in the internet forever. But when I play, did my playthrough of Gris on Geeks Like Us, there's a scene where this like eel pops up and starts chasing you and I screamed legit. Um, so like, <laughs> my threshold for getting scared is pretty low. <laughs> okay, because I was, I was really confused. I'm like, Gris, Gris is a beautiful game. I liked Gris. I don't remember being scary. It just like that, that one part where it popped out of nowhere. I was like, oh my God, what do I do? I don't want to get eaten. <laughs> just surprised you, maybe. It, yeah, yeah, it was a surprise. Okay. It's such a beautiful game, though. Like, seriously, play that game if you haven't played it. Arguably, I must be the most tolerant of the crew then because I don't mind horror so much. I mean, it's harder when it's a game. I won't play VR horror. Like, never mind has been on my list for a long time and is also something simultaneously that I will never play <laughs> because it's just, it's too scary. But I think it's scary in a different way that like people on this podcast would all concur because it's based on going into the psyche of the most disturbed people in a variety of topics in order. Um, and then add your heart rate to moderate how scary the environment gets. No, thank you. Um, but I have been playing Borderlands 3, which currently has a Halloween harvest theme quest you can go on and you have to collect ectoplasm and so you'll kill the normal baddies and then the ghosts will pop out. And then you have to kill the ghosts or they will possess you and you'll hear like spooky sounds and your screen will have green corners, so it's kind of a fun mechanic. Um, and then I've played through a few Resident Evils. And then if you want to talk about soft scares for folks who would jump or normally be like, oh, um, like Doki Doki Literature Club is a different kind of scary. Uh, but that's still kind of scary, especially the way that it in interacts with your computer, not just the game, but the like it gets into your files, um, which is disturbing in a different sense so i, I, I say that sounds terrifying to me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can change the files too that's the cool part it doesn't help 
I mean, speaking about VR, there was one time I, I had a VR headset on and I like I could scroll through what was on there and I saw Goosebumps. And I remember loving Goosebumps as a kid. I'm like, well, it can't be that scary. So I load up the Goosebumps VR experience. And of course, it is that scary. And I'm like walking through a hallway and there's, of course, ooze on the floor and you're in a creaky old house. And of course, it's like 360 sound. And I'm looking at a door in front of me and I just get this sense like there's something, there's something behind me. And I'm not going to look. I'm just not going to look. And then, of course, I looked. I looked at, you know, I look over my shoulder and something goes, rah! And I'm like, nope, headset off, done. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, I, I do not want that. And so uh, now all those positive childhood memories are associated with a very not positive adult memory. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, one of the VR companies, and I'm going to be terrible and not remember which one, uh, but they actually make meditation products now, but they're founder started off making horror games but he made his first one and it was so scary that he vowed off ever doing another horror game because the one he did was you were uh diving through a shipwreck and a sea monster was chasing you and so it was incredibly low light you couldn't really see anything and then it had the sounds of the regulator because it was monitoring your breath and so the only way you could hear the monster was if you held your breath which then triggered more anxiety because you're not breathing and you're starting to hyperventilate <laughs> you see i find these mechanics though really interesting yeah. like how game designers are able to incorporate your breath or your heart rate or um things like that into making it more scary or the files on your computer so there's this game called amnesia it's old mm -hmm. old it was when i was in first round of university education a long time ago but i made my boyfriend at the time now husband play it and i watched it with the lights on obviously but they had a mechanic where it was like the scared meter and if you saw the monster that was chasing you your scared meter would go really high and you get frozen in place and not be able to move and and things like that and i thought those are really interesting ways of making it even more horrifying and that one in particular, uh, I talk about it a lot when I present on mental health in games, just because the it's kind of like Doki Doki in that it affects your computer and your interface. And if your fear meter does get high enough, it, like you can see spiders crawling across your TV, which is intense. Uh, the one that I think is most terrifying is when you're, you know, easily like 20 hours into the game, you'll hit a point where there's a save pop-up, because again, this is an old game, mm -hmm. the save pop-up that says, you know, quit now and lose everything. And the only option, there's two buttons and they both say quit. And so like the existential angst in every single gamer just probably spiked thinking that you're going to lose, you know, a lot, a lot of time that you put into the game. Obviously that's there to represent the, the paranoia of the player that you're embodying, but that's a really interesting way of, of doing it as opposed to, you know, jump scares, which, and other horror, which is also there too. Um, but that one's at least a little more creative. I mean, I enjoyed that game actually watching someone else play it. Not <laughs> well, and so one game that's been on my list for a while that looks way cuter and that we've all actually seen a lot of advertisements for at PAX, which is where all of us met for backstory for funsies. Kind of. Yeah, it's packs. I mean, essentially. We're united, yes. I would argue. But Hello Neighbor is a horror game that, that learns your movements. It's an AI intelligent game that adapts to the player. And I think that's a different kind of horror game that really fascinates me where they, the game isn't just there prefab, ready to go, but also in an AI sense, learns from not even just heart rate and breath, but like your behaviors, your choices in the game, and then messes with you or your computer or your device or shuts you down. Like, um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Eternal Darkness, but it uh, would trick you and make you think that your volume monitor was going down or it would mess with your TV settings, mm. but it's actually just the game. Oh gosh. <laughs> There's several games out there like that too that are scary in a different way. I like it when it's like really unsettling Maybe that's the psychologist stuff in me, but it doesn't just... Yeah, nope, that's, that's a hard no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I like, I like when games take that stuff that, like, there's those interesting twists in the mechanics, too. Like, I, I think the game that's always going to be closest to my heart because I put the most time into it and actually finished it was the first Diablo game. Mm. And I remember getting to the end of that. So spoilers for Diablo 1. I mean, it's been out for 
however many years. But at the very end of the game, this hero that you've been leveling up this whole time takes this horrible device of evil and puts it into themselves. And it was just such this like moment where I like finished the game. I'm like, oh my God. I was like, that's going to corrupt my character. And they're super duper powerful now. Oh no, I was just gonna say, it's an interesting twist and like those things where it's like, it, it takes out all the things that you thought you were doing towards one thing and then bringing it over here. It's a really interesting mechanic. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example where it's not like the actual game itself that scares me. Because when I think, like if you were to ask me about the scariest movie I ever saw, it was probably Jesus Camp, <laughs> which was that, uh, it's a documentary uh, followed closely by An Inconvenient Truth. Like these documentaries, um, we actually have a theater that shows them, and I call it the scary theater because every show I've ever seen there has terrified me. Um, so I'm trying to think of a game, and maybe you ladies can can think of one where it's not necessarily even the jump scares or like the the topic, or it's, it's the topic that's scary, not necessarily the environment or the spookiness or something like that. Like your your existential crisis game. There's a game called Papers Please where you act as a as a international agent or not in what is it you're a border agent yeah and so you have to like decide how much you want to violate people's rights which is really messed up in a real life scary way yeah that's a good um example oh that actually reminds me um hush hush is another one like that mm-hmm, it's a mm-hmm. web-based game that i won't even i won't even spoil it because it only takes like 30 seconds to play and that one is disturbing on so like on on very real real level so like content warnings just lots and lots of content warnings um if you do go go play hush i kind of want to google it does it really take 30 seconds to play yeah it's a fun yeah. it's fun it's an interesting experience one could also say fun, the depression like quest it. is kind of frightening in that way because it forces your choices once you get to a certain level of depression in the game that's like the least scary scary because depression is quite frequent in our community and a lot of people understand mostly about it so it's not even like you're learning new things but the the simulation of it can be very bothersome hmm. yeah i so, say sorry kelly and you were asking games that do what again i'm sorry yeah, okay. like the the fear comes from like the topic uh, as opposed to a jump scare or like a scary creature or like a, a horror setting kind of like a like a get out, but in a game. Right. Oh, what a good movie. Yes. That's well, a Halloween costume I simultaneously always want to and will never do. <laughs> Give me a teacup and I have a costume. <laughs> yep. I think um, in some ways, like The Last of Us, I do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like, it, yes, it is a zombie, you know, and there's lots of jump scares with all the zombies and stuff, but it's more the choices that you have to make towards the end of the game that mm-hmm. really stand out, I think. Well, and if you want to talk about classic bothersome storylines, Portal 2 is pretty bad. Oh. It's a wonderful story, but it's very sad if you, like, think about what you have to do. I just always think about the lemonade rant from Portal 2, and then I just can't be sad. <laughs> <laughs> or the song. The or the companion cube like that's messed up in itself Rip. yes <laughs> the companion cube, cube bleh, the companion cube is what i hold up in class as an example of how we can become attached to completely inanimate objects mm-hmm. like it's an inanimate object in a digital game that doesn't do anything on its own and yet mm-hmm. the, the limitless, limitlessness of human empathy <laughs> i am yeah. feeling bad for an, an inanimate box in a digital game. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we're talking here too about fear, just in terms of like increased heart rate and up to anxiety and whatever, like I honestly don't like being chased by the cops in GTA. <laughs> <laughs> I get the same reaction. I'm not even joking. I get that same reaction as I do from playing like Resident Evil. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting <laughs> to see like how much of a physiological response you can have just to playing a game. Like, um, to bring it into the, the tabletop world, uh, uh, one of my favorite D&D shows, uh, Critical Role, they were getting ready to do a fight scene and one of the players is a big time athlete and so they have a um, fitness tracker watch mm-hmm. and they started this big fight and his fitness tracker was going, your heart rate has gotten very high. <laughs> and you could hear it on their audio. <laughs> That's so cool. That's awesome. But it, it is kind of cool the, the, you know, the different things that can scare us and how we can kind of get into that 
Halloween vibe and the creepiness of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting too on the research side, like why people play these kinds of games. Whereas, like, I am like, no thanks, I'll pass. <laughs> um, and some people just seek them out, and I've seen different things like sensation seeking or you know confronting anxiety in a safe space or whatever it might be. Um, but it does seem to be like the people who like that genre and the people who are like nothing like there's no in between yeah i I think it does come back to that physiological sense Mm -hmm. of you know some people experience that you know rush of adrenaline the you know pupil dilation the vascular everything stuff going up as like exhilarating and they so the physically we're having the exact same experience of um anxiety but it's kind of how we are perceiving it and interpreting Mm -hmm. it so one person feels fight or flight response happening as, all right, let's go. You know, they're ready. They're ready to fight. And then there's others of us who are more like, we feel that and we perceive it as like, oh no, oh no, no, (laughs) and flight. Um, And then others, you know, obviously freeze because that one always gets left out too, but we were just kind of like petrified in place. And so I always find that so fascinating, that idea of we're having the same experiences, but because of our lived experience and the way that we look at the world and our self perceptions and our view of our own selves that we are interpreting the signals in different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just passed the E triple P. Good, Good job. job. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Don't worry. All that stuff is going to fall out of your head eventually. <laughs> Probably pretty soon. <laughs> I think also some of it is what you were exposed to as a little one like this if you want to get really technical about it this is why little ones want to watch the same things over and over and over because they don't like surprises they don't like overload of new information like that even though i feel like our generation ended up being a bunch of sadomasochists for watching the lion king over and over and over and the trauma of mufasa's death never leaves i cry every time but like as a kid, I was bullied by my cousins. Not mm, bullied's an aggressive word, but like pick they would they would play around and make fun of me a little bit because I was afraid of everything. I was a really big scaredy cat to the point where my grandma banned any any scary stories at bedtime and any sleepovers or any family events whatsoever because they figured this out and they started picking at me. So I started taking mm-hmm. the whole like what are the strings that you don't see in the horror in the haunted house to the point where now I I logically go through as a good CBT therapist and think through like, Oh, now my biology is doing this thing and I'm having this experience. And there's this, like, I went through a haunted house two years ago where they can touch you and they take you out on, on, uh, on a hay ride tractor a mile out and you have to walk through all of the haunted houses to get back. No. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was fine. No. I was like, oh, ha, there, there, he's going to be around that corner because if I estimate what my jump scare is going to, so like I'm sitting here being a scientist in my brain and everybody else is like, ah! <laughs> That's the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to Wisconsin, Rachel. <laughs> a lot of haunted houses. <laughs> like that one. It's all on farms. Anytime it's a haunted house on a farm, don't go. The scariest one, I will argue, there were a lot of things. They had every setting. Like, they had a clown maze. They had the mental institution, the blah, blah, blah. The scariest one for me was the, like, decrepit apartment building where there was just a girl sitting in a room, and she looked really, like, dirty and not okay. And I was very nervous for her and what she was going to do because it was the least predictable item on the menu. (sighs) What did she do? Oh, yeah. She did nothing. Oh. Oh, which can be even scarier. Yeah. That mm. was the scariest thing for me. Not the werewolf that would come up and touch you on the hayride, but that girl. <laughs> yeah, I would opt in if I had if I had to pick, I would probably choose the the mental institution just because instead of being afraid, I'd be so incredibly angry. <laughs> I would be so bad. And and start yelling at them about their representation and how they're, you know propagating stereotypes and stigmatizing yeah. entire populations of people that are already stigmatized against and how dare you represent and <laughs> like no one even uses straight jackets anymore why are they here and why are you so barefoot why are you so you are you barefoot yeah oh, are you stigma from overwatch sorry <laughs> <laughs> see see i'm angry now there we go <laughs> so the get out of here well, uh, yeah. <laughs> i normally avoid those parts of haunted houses just because of that factor or like I've been to a I went to um one of those haunted themed 
theme uh, theme parks in Minnesota, they have a Valley Fair, whatever, roller coasters and all that good stuff. The scariest thing in the park, not all of the haunted houses, but they put the train that drives around with the kids inside of it right inside the tunnel where you can't see it. And then they would blast the horn and shine the light at you as you're crossing its path. That was scary. That's terrifying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not the clown that's chasing you. Well, that too. That, that, mm, mm, I don't like clowns. Me either. I, I it's really a no. Don't. Saw the Joker last night, so I'm kind of still oh. reeling from that. It was it was very unsettling. It there was very unsettling. We'll talk oh, later about that. I still have not seen it, so <laughs> I didn't either. Solidarity. Yeah, um, you you guys need to see it. So the next time we have, I know, I, talk about actually, it. Actually, maybe that's something I can do while I'm away. Is sneak out to a theater. There you go. <laughs> we need to talk about that. You're going to yes. have the feels, though. You're going to need brain bleach, puppies. And, and I watched The Good Place and still needed to, like, bake some cookies. Oh, wow. Well, well, just, just so I'm clear, that no puppies are harmed in it, right? Because that, that's Heck a No, there's no animals involved. In fact, okay. I, walked, okay. I got home and I was petting my dog and I turned to my wife and I'm like, you know, I think he would have benefited from an emotional support animal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, on that note, are you guys familiar with the website Does the Dog Die? Yes. Oh no, that's a no website. But that's a good one. And there's a Twitter hashtag, Can You Pet the Dog? And they do answer that question for any game that you may request. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. The answer for Minecraft is no, if anyone saw my guest appearance on Thuppence. All I wanted to do was pet the animals. <laughs> but you can make, cannot. make it sit and you can feed it treats. Not the same. <laughs> when you, you can have the parrot ride around on your shoulder. That's pretty fun. That's cool. I did not that know that. Cool. Except if you're like me and end up in the water a lot, then your parrot ends up almost drowning most of the time. So that's not good. The you cool know, this about, is making uh, me think about... Okay. Kelly, go ahead. Oh, I just want to, before we get off or or move on to the next thing, the Does the Dog Die? Not only is that a really good website for obviously finding out if the movie has uh, animal death in it, but they've also started including things like um, content warnings. Like, is there Mm -hmm. an assault scene? Is Mm -hmm. there, you know, specific kinds of war trauma represented? So that's, uh, it started out as kind of like a a cutesy thing, but now they've really done some really good work around um, like content warnings and accessibility and things like that. So shout out. That's awesome. Yeah. A factor of horror in games we haven't talked about is something that Rachel makes me think of with Minecraft because on Thuppence, if you dig way back, there's an episode where Steven and I are trying to build Hogwarts and Ryan's off trying to build the actual castle, but I'm building Hagrid's hut. And so obviously I need to put a bunch of wild animals in there. And uh, I'm making him spawn different eggs because we don't know what all the creatures are because it's been like five years since I've actually sat down and seriously played Minecraft. And so I'm learning what all these animals and creatures are, and then I'm subsequently making him kill them off so I have the right ones in the right order in the right places. And that was not pleasant for him. He hated murdering all those animals for me. <laughs> I hate killing <laughs> animals in Minecraft, too. <laughs> like, oh, and so, like, or Dark Souls, right? That's a, there's areas where you can be invaded, and then they just slaughter you by dragging, they, like, tease you over to the big bad guys, and then they get you slaughtered. By like dragging you over. So there's also the nefarious co-op or PvP element to the, the scariness of games. Well, are you guys going to play Thumpins on Halloween? That's a great question. Probably, yeah. I, I'll, I'll see if I can tune out. I'm streaming that night too, but like, <laughs> be curious oh, what you guys fun. are going to play. Yeah, we're going to have to be thoughtful about it. I'll dress up as werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> We don't normally have video stream, thankfully, because I would be a slug oh, on my head. characters, werewolves. <laughs> yeah, right? We should do a, do a game where we can dress up. Maybe Minecraft, we can do that. Yeah, werewolf <laughs> skins for Halloween. Trick-or-treating the villages or something. <laughs> well, you can always play Sea of Thieves and dress up as a pirate. That's true, but we do I've been trying to get Thuppence to do Sea of Thieves with me for, like, months. If you can months. get Ryan on the Xbox, then we're good to go. He's the that's, only that's not my job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not his handler. I'm just saying. Nowadays, <laughs> you can have like an undead monkey. That's amazing. Just, throw it out there. just throwing it out there. It's very possible we're going to drag Ryan into a co-op play of uh, Borderlands Three because that he's the only, that's probably the least 
the path of least resistance, but we'll see what we do. Nice. <laughs> It'll be fun. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss all the things our brains have been noodling on this week. Hey, what are you doing Thursday? You're on Thuppence. You're coming to Thuppence. You feel the desire to watch Sarah, Ryan, and Steven play video games and talk psychology. Mmm. 9 p.m. to 11.30. Geeks like us stream. <laughs> and we're back. All right. So, Rachel. Yes. What has your brain been noodling on recently? Oh, I have been thinking a lot about, as you may know if you follow me on Twitter, internet gaming disorder over the last couple of weeks. There was a New York Times op-ed I forget the title now, but it was something like, can you be addicted to video games? Something in that vein. Um, and the article was really, in my opinion, kind of full of exaggerated claims and kind of cherry picking what science they decided to report and what science they didn't. Um, so I went on a little soapbox for a while. I wrote a little article, take this, publish an article about it. Kelly made a beautiful little graphic about it just had to get it out into the world. So if you're interested about internet gaming disorder, um, there is a nice little post uh, on takethis.org that kind of sums up my thoughts and feelings about what I needed to say on my soapbox. And you got to be called an angry PhD, right? <laughs> I was anonymously referred to by <laughs> a reporter as an angry PhD. I was really, it really upsets me when science is misrepresented. Like that gets me on my soapbox. I cannot come down from that. I will die on that hill. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Kelly, how about you? What, what's your brain been noodling on? So I, I'm realizing that I jumped, I jumped the gun because I, I dropped it at the start of the show, but that's okay. Oh, it's my it's brain okay. We're still figuring it out. It's episode two. We don't know what it we're doing yet. Multitudes in here. Um, <laughs> and so the other thing that I've been, I've been noodling on, and I think this really is a true noodle, um, not, not a fake noodle, but a true noodle, is I am seriously moving towards starting a mixer stream. Uh, one in part because I was really inspired by the Toronto International Game Summit that I was at and meeting anxiety. M. Zayeti, who is a Take This Ambassador streamer, um, and her stream is about mental health. Like, sometimes she plays games, sometimes she doesn't. I watched one of her streams recently, and they made a, a, like a, a self-care kit for days when it's just hard to get out of bed. And it was really, really cool. And so I was like, well, you know, I, I, I miss streaming because, you know, a couple of years ago I ran an esports league, and I was streaming three times a week like two to three hours each stream. And I did that for like five years. Um, so I've definitely taken a break, but I, I want to, I, that's, so that's what I'm, I'm working on right now is starting a stream. It would probably only be like once a week. That would be the most. It might even be less frequent than that. But where I sit down and I play a game and I either talk about the design of the game and how that relates to the psychology of the design, um, mental health representations in the games that I'm playing, uh, as well as feeling questions about, you know, mental health and how they're portrayed in games or even outside of games. So right now I'm on Mixer as Hey Dr. K. So the word doctor spelled out and just the letter K at the end there. Um, I haven't streamed yet. I keep wanting to find a time to, but then I look and all of my friends are always streaming and I'm like, there's not a time <laughs> when, <I don't, laughs> when somebody's not. So that's, that's what I am noodling on, I guess, is how do I, how do I get this off the ground? How do I do the thing cool you have to let us know what night you decide land on i'm thinking tuesdays but right now that's class so (laughs) (laughs) no one needs to do that yeah i mean that's only it's only another month of class right yeah yeah but yeah i will i will keep you informed because i i hope i hope you will all be there too yes yeah of course awesome pressure Sarah, what are you doodling on? So I have hit a point of stagnance, hopefully for good change, because I am working on shifting my career. I don't want to jinx it. Not that I'm superstitious, but I'm really hoping to actually come out and work with Megan over at Southeast Psych. I know. (laughs) Kelly's touching. She's in shock. Um, I got the actual go ahead that they want to bring me out and interview me in IRL and then we'll see if my wife and I like the culture and if we could see ourselves living there I'm not so worried about like the workplace part I feel like I could fit in pretty well but I want to take advantage of that VR room and co D&D groups and 
do the things and I want to stop talking about it because I don't want to get too excited. <laughs> so, so cool. <laughs> noodling about coming and staying with Megan. Yes. Interview. Otherwise, figuring out the ethicality of taking on new clients in the anticipation of potential major life change um, and what is what is right, what is okay, what format, how do I introduce it, what do I do? So that's what I'm noodling on. Mm, that's a tough one. That's a hard one to do. Yeah. I am excited for you, but I mean, I am. There's no but. And mm-hmm. the fact that we would then all be on the Eastern time zone. I'm just hey. <laughs> That would be really cool. Because then we don't have the, wait, it's one o'clock? No, it's a lot. Wait, what time what is, are things happening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Seattle weather is, is a big bummer. Not that it rains 10 months out of the year, like they say in Twilight, but like we get, <laughs> because we're so close to the North Pole, we get much less sunlight per hour at all, even if it's under, under cloud cover mm-hmm. in the winter. So right now we're at like 10 hours of sunlight at all, any light per day. And it's quickly decreasing. Like it decreases half an hour a week. I feel yeah. I think I'm going to get one of those seasonal affective disorder lamps. I had one when I lived in Tacoma. It helped a lot. I feel like I need one. Pro tip, don't buy the happy lamp. Buy the grow lamp for your plants that has the same UV and all that good stuff. It's way cheaper. (laughs) Good to know. Pro tip. That is a pro tip. Thank you. It's a good pro tip. So my noodles are kind of silly. Um, I'm trying to do more self-care. And like actually like do things for me, um, which my I sent a list to my co-host today of all the projects I'm currently working on. And I only did the professional ones. I didn't even get to like, I need to do laundry or like clean up my bedroom. <laughs> but the, the thing I'm actually spending a lot of time on, I'm super excited about is I've started painting minis for D&D. Nice. I good yet? Yeah, I'll show you guys. Oh, nice. flesh golem guy that I'm starting, and um, but like ah. our first attempt with it, I uh, tried to primer a bunch of them, and we use the wrong kind of primer. So now I'm having oh, to no. figure out how to strip all the minis I primered. And but it's even though it's a mistake, and we're having to do it, it's super fun to like be thinking about how to paint and do something creative that has absolutely no benefit. Like I'm not, I'm just doing this for me, doing it for fun. Probably never going to use them in a game, but. It's fun. Yeah, good for you. That's not well, silly. Done. That's wonderful. <laughs> no, what's silly are the ping pong balls I have upstairs that I dipped in, in black paint to make googly eyes that are going to sit on my head in a few days. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> my, my incredibly sad attempt at making anything artistic. <laughs> um, no judgment. No, no, it's awesome to do that Great. stuff. I think it's awesome. Yeah. So that, yeah, it, it's fun to like make stuff. And I think that's why I love graphic design so much mm-hmm. is the computer does the making. And I'm like, I want it to look like this. And it's like, bam, here's a perfect circle. You're welcome. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is very nice. Well, it's, it's something that I've found with a lot of clients I work with. Like it, one of the biggest things when people are suffering from depression is getting them to create something, whether mm-hmm. it's words, uh, painting, um, sewing, you know, building something in Minecraft. Just like there seems to be something like when we're not feeling good to actually like make something that it does a lot for us. I'm sure there's some research on it. I haven't bothered. To I'm it. sure. There's I, gotta be. I'm, I'm convinced there is. Yeah. <laughs> if there's not any grad student listening, this could be a good topic for your thesis. <laughs> I mean, at, at, like even the most basic level, like especially with depression, the idea of like behavioral activation, the yes. fact that you're doing something is in itself, you know, yeah. a, a, a way to fight against depression. And then if what you're doing is generating something that you can see the result of yeah. like creating a mini. Like I was thinking when you're talking through the list, I'm like, Ooh, baking cookies, you know, yeah. just, or, or like making a really tasty meal or something like that. That you're like, yeah, you know, you can have that moment to, to savor it. But um, yes, can confirm research, cannot cite it. But can confirm. <laughs> well, I mean, there is something about, it's like playful behavior, right? You're creating something that's not for work. You're creating something that has no apparent value ish, right? Not towards mm-hmm. your career or whatever. Um, there's a book coming out in January called Video Games and Wellbeing. And there's a chapter in there written by Kelly Dunlap and Megan Connell. And it talks specifically what? about the benefits <laughs> of <laughs> playful behavior as an adult. Just mm-hmm. no. Throwing that out there. Yeah. That's amazing. 
Which I think Rachel's actually calling us out and saying, like, we should be able to cite this stuff. <laughs> no, cite it in her chapter. <laughs> I'm just saying it exists. It exists. I've read it. Yeah. But also, as good scientists, if you don't have the sources in front of you, it is it is very wise to identify you don't have the sources in front of you, and that's okay. Yes. And besides, if if we gave all the sources away, like right. what, what learning about my book? Right. Yeah. <laughs> the book is a gem. We'll talk about that another. Yes, book. we will need to talk about that. About and actually, like something I love to chat with with all of you about is like citations versus copyrights, because that's been a thing my brain has been thinking about a lot. Because like we can do research, and someone can cite that research and put it in a book and make millions, and millions of dollars off the book, and just because they put our name in the book as a citation, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But like, I can buy a song that somebody's written, and if I put it in the background of Clinical Role, it's not okay, and Mm, it gets taken down and so unless you cite the song right unless you say like even if you cite the song even if you've bought it you can't use it what yeah it's like with fonts i recently learned you can buy fonts and use it but if you want to use it in your book you can't do it Mm -hmm. which props on creativity and creation to kelly for making the font for rachel's book that's true. I, I do have the rights to use that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, technically, technically, Rachel made it because it's her handwriting. I just. But you made it into a font. That's the coolest I thing I think I heard all year. So, for those who don't know, I had a Kickstarter and it was successful late last year, and it's a children's book. And the font in the book um, was made by Miss Kelly Dunlap, and it is based off my handwriting, and it's amazing. I just waved. So I want everyone just in the <laughs> in case they couldn't hear the wave, but I did wave. She did. Um, she did. I feel like that's important. Adds to the texture. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap up for this week, but thank you so much for everybody coming in to tune in and listening. And this has been Brain Noodles and we'll be back soon. Bye. 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 Brain Noodles is a production of Geeks Like Us. Your hosts for this podcast are doctors Megan Connell, Kelly Dunlap, Rachel Cowart, and Sarah Sawyer. Music for this podcast is The Life of Riley by Kevin McLeod. Audio edited, mixed, and mashed by Amelia Herbst. Follow Geeks Like Us on Twitter at G33KS like us. That's at G33KSLIKE. Until next time, keep noodling.